Hi, John. Hey, Nicole. Ready? Let's do this. All right, episode two. Welcome to Shape the Conversation. I'm Nicole. I'm John. And we work at Shape.io here in Bend, Oregon. If you want to hear a little bit more about us, jump back to the last episode. We gave a little bit more in-depth intro. We'll go into a little bit more about us and background on this episode as well. But let's just jump right in. I think, Nicole, how's that sound? Sounds great. All right. So I think we should start with saying the original idea for this episode was to really hone in on getting your first customers kind of for anything. So I set out to find a few folks from around town here in Bend, Oregon that have founded companies and asked them to tell the story of how they got their first customer. First person I contacted was Dana Barbado. She runs a really cool startup that's just down the street called InvestiPro. They make a software platform to help HR people conduct workplace investigations. If you know somebody in HR, definitely send them Dana's way. Dana was recently named Woman Entrepreneur of the Year by Ben City Chamber of Commerce, so I thought she'd be a great person to kind of pick her brain and see how she got her first customer. I really admire Dana. She's got an incredible founding story that includes two years she spent living in a trailer on her son's property so she could save money and invest more uh, into our business. So I had Dana come into the Shape Studio, sit down, and uh, I asked her to tell a story about her first customers, and here's how she started it. So getting your first customer is always an interesting thing. You think that once you start off with a product and release it, the whole world's going to come to you, but that's obviously not what happens. You know, it takes some doing to get out and get the word out, and then also to get people, I think the big factor here is trust. So they need to be able to trust you before they're willing to pay you, which makes total sense. The way that I found to go out and do this in the very beginning was to go out and speak to HR groups because we have an HR product and just let them know how I developed it, that I used to be in their shoes, that I found this to be a good solution and tested it over the years and decided to replicate it in mass. Okay, so I'll cut Dana off there. She goes on to tell a story about after that speaking event, she followed up with a prospect and landed her first customer. But for me, after hearing those first 15 seconds, I, I thought we might need to change the focus. First customer is always um, an interesting thing. You think that once you start off with a product and release it, the whole world's going to come to you, but that's obviously not what happens. And that's really where I think we're going to hone in on. It's that the world doesn't come to you. You know, I think that's a really powerful idea. Um, you know, we've kind of talked about this as being a a time capsule for even our kids, this podcast to go back and get some lessons and some kind of small legacy on our belief, values, and ideas. And uh, I think that'd be the number one advice I'd give my son if sons if they're getting into anything is that the world's not going to come to you. You got to go out there and, and get it a little bit. No, it's not. Yeah. And we, we know that all too well as being marketing people, right? I have to imagine you've been on a little bit over a year now at Shape. We kind of brought you on to pour fuel on the fire of, of what we're doing and the momentum we had. But it's hard out here in kind of startup land, isn't it? It's rough, especially in SaaS. You can do the traditional things. You can do mailers. Are people going to come to you towards that way? Nope. Are you going to spend hours upon hours? building links, trying to get people to find your blogs. Yep. And the thing is, is you can do as much outbound and inbound as you want. It's a struggle. It's a struggle to get each and every customer in that door. Yeah, definitely. And I thought this was a great opportunity for us to really pull back the curtain a little bit on 
how we handle this problem of the world not coming to us, how we've handled it through different stages of the company. We've been around now for in various stages for almost five years. It changed the name once back in 2015. But I think really what I've learned through the whole journey is absolutely the world doesn't come to you. <laughs> you got to find ways to get the word out there, like Dana said, have people develop trust in you. And I think that's really a key if you think about that, that's going to help get you first customers, get your first, get a project off the ground, get anything new that, that you're starting. People that are looking to that come to me and ask me questions about their new project, I always tell them, like, where can you create value where value doesn't exist currently? So I don't know. How, how far back do we want to take this, Nicole? I think all, we go all the way back. All the way back? All right. Well, for me, I was a struggling sales guy back in 2006 right out of college. I had a sales job that I, I did not like. Um, and was not being very successful at. And I actually thought maybe there is, it would be a lot easier instead of making these cold calls if the world could come to me. And that's where I really fell in love with digital marketing and pay-per-click advertising in particular. And along that same time, I was kind of finding TechCrunch and some of these places, learning a little bit more about SaaS and startups recently out of school. was something I hadn't thought too much about. And so I was always kind of what I call a wannapreneur for about four or five years working my day jobs, but listening and reading to stuff at night to kind of help get something off the ground. So those years when we were working together back at previous startup, I'd spend some nights and weekends coding a prototype and I always believed, all right, I got just got to get this thing coded and finished. That's the really hard part. Once I have a product that works, we'll be able to, to put it out there with a few people and once they test it they'll tell their friends and they'll tell their friends and you know, that's that's the SaaS dream right that's the way it always goes in all these podcasts that people talk about but in reality it's very very different <laughs> in reality probably what it looks like is you hacking together some cobbled together MVP that pretty much works and then you're launching it to a market that doesn't know who you are or, or anything about you. Did you ever get any of those initial test runs off the ground, launch them out into the world? Yeah, I think, you know, given a little more context than that. So my day-to-day job was as a digital marketer. I was running ads across Google, being Facebook for customers. And I was always looking for SaaS ideas in my life that I thought could maybe turn into a company. And eventually just started turning that focus inward to problems that I had myself. Dana talked about that too, you know, she, the what made the most sense for her to build was something that she needed. And I think this is a great way to get started. I think it can lead you in some tough situations sometimes if you're not careful because you're a little too locked in your own by your own opinion, but at least you have one person that's going to use what you're building, and that's you. And uh, it, it helps you at least get started and, and kind of get it get it off the ground so the first iteration i would say that i actually got in somebody's hands was getting in the hands of other developers who were better than me (laughs) Um, and could actually bring something to life that other people would use the very first project that i tried to get off the ground was something called ppc headquarters and it was if you know base camp i pretty much described it to people as a a base camp for ppcers Um, it had different flows and I'm sure you remember seeing some of the very early betas on that one. Absolutely. I think we met for a lunch one time and we talked about it for two hours, whether or not certain features would be useful. At the time I was managing a, a PPC team, so it was like 
kind of, I think, a great feedback yeah. session for you to just ask if our team would utilize certain features. Definitely, yeah. I, I left that team back in 2013 with the idea being that hopefully they'd be my first customer. I could sell it back to them. Got developers who are still with us on board today. That's a whole other story about how to build your first product and get it off the ground. But for this one, we're going to focus on, let's say you do have something and you go to put it out there. Chances are you're going to be very disappointed by the feedback or reaction that you get if you haven't been cultivating an audience for yourself along the way. So in my case, I got PPC headquarters together. We got it, enough of a work MVP. I talked to you, the features that we'd use, whatever. Finally was ready, went to the team, sent it to you, and nobody used it. <laughs> nope, not a one. Yeah, uh, it just, and honestly, it wasn't good enough. That's the tough thing if you're building a lot in isolation and you're not getting things out there into the world. That's the other problem sometimes of building something for yourself is that you wait for something to be perfect and you wait too long to figure out if maybe some of the big assumptions you have aren't right. So there's a perfect example of some of my best friends were still on that team. I They knew I left the company to work on this thing that I cared a lot about and I built this thing and I sent it back to them and then they use it a couple times, they find it's really buggy and they're too busy. They gotta move on. You know What we say all the time is that f even free software, people aren't just gonna use it because it's free. If your software is not providing value or doesn't work, they're not even gonna give free software the time of day. And I made some huge mistakes back then that I could have put myself in a lot better position to have the world come to us. Are you willing to share any of those mistakes here? Oh yeah, definitely. And I tell them to people all the time. The number one thing I would have done in nights and weekends as opposed to a lot of times like hacking through code and learning how to make it is I would have been writing. I, I would have been developing content. I would have been developing an audience. I think as digital marketers, a lot of times we, if we're at a company that's growing and our department's growing and things are going well, we lose a little bit of a focus on your personal branding, honestly, in a touch. And during those times, I hadn't done any writing. I hadn't done anything to build my own Twitter presence out, out there. I had I had no name in the marketplace at all that people were gonna be interested about when I launched a project. So I think you've gotta look hard in the mirror. Like today, if you were to put a LinkedIn post, does anybody look at it? Like anybody. You know, if nobody does, you got a long way to go before you can actually market a product that you're getting out there so well yeah I mean it's it's great and all if you put a fantastic LinkedIn post up and your LinkedIn followers are your mom and your <laughs> yeah. you know co-worker from a, a restaurant you worked at back in college but they're not the type of people who can actually amplify that they're not yeah. the people who are going to support you and who may have connections that are in your industry yeah Definitely, and that's what I, I found early on. I just hadn't cultivated that audience that could help me expand that message. And when you run in those situations where you're met with you know things you weren't expecting, like I was at that point, honestly, I thought that we were just gonna keep that momentum and, and move forward, keep tweaking that, and it would be a great product. But what I actually found was that the product wasn't as useful as I thought. And we, after 30 days from launching the original beta, we had zero active users. And that was a tough realization to come to a few months in. So was that the point? Was it 30 days? Was it 60 days? When did you decide to pull the plug on that? Or did you? Yeah, so we were about three months in and, and Chris, our CTO, um, came to me and he said, it's time to have 
tough conversation. He's like, I, I see what we're trying to do here, but it doesn't feel like it's really the traction is there. So to his credit, you know, he was a young guy. He had a lot of prospects, a lot of other things he could have done. Instead of just like kicking me to the curb, he, he said, okay, well, what are we going to do? You know, come up with something. Think about what we can do next. And the good thing about actually getting the beta out there was that we had some data. You guys didn't use the product much at all, but there was a few little nuggets in the app that actually were useful. Namely, people liked using it for budget tracking. <laughs> and uh, they liked being able to set a budget. At that point, we had no API connections, no detailed um, syncs with Google, Bing, or any of these data flows. It was just a, a page where they could enter a budget, see where the spend was, put it up there, get it in front of a client really easily. And so Chris and I really looked at that and we found that maybe there's more here to this budgeting part. Maybe the next iteration of, of this product is a, is a budgeting focused product. So we hunkered back down and pretty much for four or five months learned how to work with all the Google APIs, Facebook APIs, started pulling the data, rebranded. We changed the name from PPC headquarters to Steady Budget. Um, to really hone in on the fact that we're going to be a budgeting tool. And through that summer, the two developers came to the house every day, and we really coded an MVP now that actually worked. And it, it delivered a lot of value, and it was based on something we saw people actually doing in the first version of the app. So we felt we had a lot more confidence about that. And we kept working on Steady Budget, which was a tool that let you group all these campaigns really easily in the budgets, and now we were automatically tracking these budgets for you. And when that was ready, almost a year later from that first attempt, we presented it to you guys and the team that were still there, and this time took off. And uh, I don't know if you remember how different it felt during that stretch, but at that time we gave it to one of the people on the team, they spread it to the next person on the team, and now we kind of had something and we, we were off and running. Yeah, it was absolutely the case where, you know, you get one person hooked on the time savings alone. And then, as John mentioned, that person told someone else and it kind of escalated from there. Now, we definitely had some holdouts. I don't know why. They really loved Excel. I think they still do to this day. But, you know, to the point now where that entire team is, is utilizing that tool and it's integrated in their processes. So... Just one quick question for you. So so we were your first big customer, but who was your yeah. first customer where you didn't have those connections and how did you go about getting that customer? Yeah. Good so during good question. So during that time we were in a beta phase up until October two thousand fourteen and then we decided to open it up. We had nothing to lose. This was our last shot at it. So we opened it up as a free product just to try to get some traction. So the original plan was to try to bootstrap. At this point, we had almost gone a year and a half with zero sales. <laughs> so bank accounts were running lower than had previously been planned at that point. So our strategy was launch as a free tool, get traction, show we could build something that the market wanted. Then over that time, I would shift to raise funding through seed funding to hopefully hit by that summer to sustain us. And we would use the traction we were getting on the free product as the pitch deck. But we launched as a free product and this time we had 30, 35 agencies using the software within a month or two and they were staying and they were continuing to use it. And we felt like, okay, now we're on the path. Now we're, we're doing it. Like we've got something people want to use, but we were still a free product. Did you go after those agencies or did they come to you? 
Yeah, so I was working out of the house at that point, and pretty much my day-to-day involved going on Twitter, finding any digital marketer I could, going on LinkedIn. Uh, I would send at least 100 cold emails a day. I would ping people on Twitter the most like unobtrusive at mention you could imagine. It was like, hey, I'm a digital marketer. I like kind of making this free tool. Would you please check it out? And like maybe if you do, let me know what what you think. Yeah, it was like the softest, weakest pitch still, you could ever imagine. You're still hustling though. Yeah, you're still getting out there, and that's the thing. Like, they're not gonna come to you. Maybe it's just a cold email or a tweet or whatever. But now you're in their notification feed. Like you're you're out there, and people know they have a URL you can go to and land and get it. So we're going through this period. I'm doing all the outbound. We've got barely any inbound going because, like I said, I hadn't done any writing, no blogging, no inbound stuff. Nobody's coming to us. We're still early. We're not ranking for any terms, really, that are getting any. But we've got this little bit of a free trial crew growing. We've got, like I said, 35 companies using it. I'm able to get a little bit more traction in some of the seed funding conversations, and we feel like we're on the trail. And so we decide, okay, it's time to switch from free to premium. We have 35 companies talking to them. They're all really excited about it. There's, uh, okay, yeah, when you go to premium, we had verbal commitments from almost half of those 35 companies to come on to the premium version, which would be huge. And the day when we flip the switch and we're no longer offering our free tier, two companies signed up for that premium version. And one of them was the team you were on. And then one was a German, small German company that I had never met that one of their friends on Twitter sent him a link that said, hey, check this thing out. It could help you with budgeting. And he was on the free tier. And when we flipped to the premium, he put down his credit card for his company. Two is better than new zero. True. Two, however, was not very impressive to the venture capitalists that we were pitching uh, through that time. Most of our venture deals kind of fell through at that point, except for one. <laughs> and we were we got one yes, and in venture, that's all that matters. And we were able to raise $300,000 in July of 2015 just even based on those two customers. So sometimes it doesn't take much, but investors know how hard it is to bring something into the world that other people are going to use. So even if you're able to get a customer or two, getting that first credit card it really helps you kind of push to that next stage. And uh, so now again, we kind of felt like, all right, we're on the path now. We've got funding. We can hire some more people. We can put more energy behind our marketing. We announced the funding. We figured it's going to be, you know, people are going to care about it. One day later, nobody cares. One day later, I'm back sending emails, same as I was before. Uh, same trying to get some blog posts off the ground and we've got some more sales support but it's the same again you know that everything happens so fast that people you just don't stick in people's consciousness I don't know if you, you find that during this time like there's so many tools out there you're finding so many tools you think if you put a tool out there people are gonna come across it but there's so many softwares and tools you're just not even seeing that just don't come across your feed or don't come across your your frame of reference or maybe they do but you you see it once and then it it's out of your mind in you know less than 10 seconds and how are you going to recognize that that product is something that you need or your team needs if if all you ever see is that one instance of it and then it's gone yeah and that's really one thing i struggled with early on too um was 
deciding when to pull the trigger on telling the world and try and trying to have the world come to you and the market come to you. We had a lot of internal discussions like, okay, well, but if we do this big email push and people try it and we don't have future XYZ, they're going to forget about us forever. And that's probably the case. You know, you've got to just continually balance that with not putting stuff out there and not getting feedback. You're going to lose some along the way, but you're going to get great feedback along the way. So, I mean, you indicated it was a very slow trickle at first. When or what did you do where you kind of started to see it pick up a little bit more? Really, we just, I think, time and energy, honestly. I I make a lot of it. If you look at our Google Analytics from going back from 2013, 14 to now, it's pretty steady climb up. You know, I think there's no real silver bullets in marketing. There's no, there's a million lead bullets that, that you're throwing out there, like Mark Andreessen says, and like, there's no one thing. And I think even today, it was, it would have been easier to stand out back then with content marketing in 2013, 14 than it is today. Today, there's so much content out there that it's even harder to get the world to listen because there's so many people yelling out there um, into the abyss now. I think there's more time than ever being spent on devices, so there's more opportunity than ever for people to discover you, but that's matched with all the noise that's out there. And so as we moved to gaining like customer three, four, five, six, they actually, for us, and I think that's a key thing to to remember during this discussion is like, I'm sure there's startups out there that have had a lot easier time. (laughs) They're probably a better initial coder than me. They're able to be a better marketer than me. There's lots of ways that made it easier. But for us, it hasn't really gotten much easier. You know, I, I feel like I work just as hard now to get the word out as I as I did back then. And I actually don't think there's anything other than continuing to put end time and energy into the sales and marketing that will really get you over that next hump. Now, what was key for us was the ability to communicate trust to bigger prospects. And Dana talked about that. Like she got a lot of her first customers and interest because they trusted her. And that is the hardest thing to do with some of your early customers and the people that do find you. But this, even this podcast now, is us continuing to kind of push the envelope, continuing to try to find new ways to get in front of people and and continue to push that curve up into the right because it won't keep going up into the right. Um, if you don't put energy into it. I think that's another thing we've seen, right? Like if we let it lax at all, like you can't just not do marketing for two months and have that not affect you. No, yeah. It's a significant drop off right away. Yeah. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, you know, if we roll some some of our internal stats to give you an idea of like where we were at those points. I mean, I'm talking, we had eight to 10 people a day coming to the website for a lot of our early periods. A lot of articles you read out there are about optimizing traffic flows and dialing in your funnel or whatever. How do you get 20 people a day to your website? You know, you've got to go out there and get it. And that's what we're talking about is marketing is a lot, is becoming the differentiator in in today's world. Technology is becoming a little bit more commoditized every day and marketing and getting people to hear about you are the new differentiators of this phase. And for us, as we moved through that stretch, going from customer three, four, five, six to 10, 15, 20, and we're seeing our burn rate drop every month, we're feeling like we're doing the right things and getting momentum. And 
okay, now people are going to start listening to us. Now we've got these customers out there that can be our salespeople. And the interesting thing I think in B2B is sometimes like people don't share as much as they might with B2C. Like our viral effect is there, but I think it's mitigated by sometimes competition. You know, if you find some great tool that you think is giving you an advantage over your competition, you're not going to be maybe as apt to like tell the world about it. See, you know, I, I disagree slightly there okay. because I think the PPC community is really active on sharing things. And so what I've actually seen is we've seen a little bit of traction now, which is super exciting of people being like, of recommending our tool. But in that same instant, what it, you know, whether it's a Reddit feed or whether it's um, a Slack community like Online Geniuses, someone will post something out that's like, Tell me about what you use to manage budgets or tell me about what you use to do your PPC reporting. And in one instance, one breath, someone's going to recommend you and say, check this out. But they're also going to recommend three other tools that you use. So it's not necessarily that they're hesitant to throw it out to the PPC community because maybe, you know, a competitor isn't necessarily hanging out in that group, right? If I'm a PPC marketer in-house for a manufacturing company, I'm not necessarily going to be super concerned about someone hanging around in that Slack channel who's, you know, the next door manufacturing company. So I think they're more apt to recommend tools in that manner. Now, would they at a a manufacturing conference sit there with a digital marker that's right across the way from them on this table who's a competitor and recommend the same things? I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, conferences. That's another thing. We've sponsored uh, we sponsored a booth at a major digital marketing conference, spent lots and lots of money, and here we are at a booth. We've got our sign up. We're saying, hey, everybody, like we're building stuff for you, attendees of the conference. You are our people. And even sitting right there in the room, people don't even come over to talk to us. Like We found at that conference, even people at the conference like don't really care about what you're doing. And that that's a that's a big thing to remember is that just going out there, doing it, starting a website, starting a new project, whatever, it's not enough to get people to care. You're going to have to do so much more. And new founders or people starting a new project that I talk to, they always talk about how the marketing is what surprised them about how tough it was, how like even a great link on a website maybe drives 10, 15 visits. I mean, we've gotten retweets from people with... 30, 40,000 followers, people like, hey, go check out this article. It's a great article. And then we'll go check our stats. And we got like eight click throughs, you know, so like people just, they're not going to care. You know, you really have to go out there and talk passionately about what you're doing to try to always be pushing your message out there to the world. Because if you're not doing that, you might have be building great technology, but it's not worth anything. That's where we found ourselves for a lot of stretches through our history, you know, like we feel like we've had really good tech, but maybe haven't been able to get the word out there enough. And through those early stages when we're trying when we were trying to reach profitability, there was a lot of pressure on the sales and marketing team, you know. It's it's not an easy spot to be at a growing company or anybody trying to create new deals or or get new traction. And you've got to persevere and you've got to take nothing for granted. You've got any, you've got to constantly be building articles and links and ways for people, people to find you. Well, and you have to be constantly building new things that are, are valuable to your customers. It goes back to trust. It goes back to creating a product that someone actually wants to use. 
you know, again, you get it in their hands. Maybe it's a grind to get it in their hands, but once it's in their hands, are they actually using it? Are they finding value? Are, you know, is another tool coming up and, and, you know, eating your lunch because they've got three more valuable tools and they're the same price. Yeah. So, you know, to me, again, it's as much about marketing as it is about keeping that uh, customer service too, keeping that customer. Yeah, definitely. Customer service, we're talking about it's so hard to get people to try your product and initially use it. That's a great point. That customer service, the way you keep them there. Yeah, it, it's so, it, customer service is really hard and takes a lot of energy and effort, but it's still easier than getting a new person to try your product and, and get going. Absolutely. I kind of, I throw it into marketing. I mean, granted, I do kind of, I have yeah. customer service <laughs> under my umbrella, so maybe I'm, you know, a little skewed, but because you still have to give that free trial as much customer service as you give, you know, a, a non-free, like someone who's actually paying. Yeah. Because, again, they're going to be someone who, one, may become a paying customer, who may recommend you, who may, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Even if they spend their entire history with you as a free trial, they may stick it as a free trial if, yeah. if, that's, if you give them that option. Yeah. Definitely. And a free trial, that's a great point. That's another thing we've experimented with a lot to try to make it easier for people to find us, discover us. We experimented with a 31 day free trial where you could do anything you wanted in the app. Then we made that a seven day free trial. And the tough part with both of those is that we were still putting pressure on our buyer in those situations. We were still saying, hey, within this seven day window, within this 31 day window, you've got to Make sure that you like the software. Make sure it does what you need it to do. Sell your coworkers on it, possibly. Sell your boss on it. And now they're having to go out there and make the world come to them. Like now you burden them with trying to sell it to the rest of their team. And now you put a time window on them to make that even tougher. And what we found was that signups actually went down when we dropped down to seven days because people were like, I don't think I can even get that approved in seven days. I'm not even going to try. And now we've got a, you can completely use the software for one client, manage it free with no time restrictions, and then be able to prove it for that one client and then roll that into your other ones or go to show your boss instead of making this big pitch, just go show, hey, here's the problems I've solved. Here's what I've done. It's so much easier to go tell some, show somebody, here's what I've done as opposed to here's what I'm going to do and get them to believe. And that's where... You know, you've got to find ways to make that as easy as possible once you get somebody to your site. These days, where are we at? Daily visitors, new visitors to shape.io. You know, we're, I think we're in the 40 to 50 unique new visitors a day to the website and blog, uh, which is 10x where we were three years ago. And uh, we really hope that you know, we can 10, 100x that again over the next three years. But it's not going to get any easier. Nope. People aren't going to say, hey, we want to, what are you working on? Oh, when are you going to release your next feature? You know, a lot, teaser post, I have, we've got no traction with like, hey, new cool thing coming from Shape next week, check back in. Nobody puts that on their calendars like, oh, let me check back in next week to see what new feature they released. That That's just not the way people, people operate. You know, you have to constantly be going out there, constantly talking about the new things you're doing, constantly building your audience. And that's what I think a lot of people fall short on when they launch a new venture. They're not willing to do the tough things around sales. They're not willing to make the cold calls. I had a realization about 
seven months into founding the company that, oh no, I created a sales job for myself. <laughs> and that was what I was trying to avoid was, was a sales job. But that's the, that's where you're at in the early stage of any endeavor you're with. Like you're going to have to be the person, person pushing that ball up the hill. Nobody's going to push that ball for you, you know, but I've desperately at times early on wanted somebody to be there to help pushing the ball up, but you got to send that next hundred cold emails. You've got to, you know, send that and write those next 10 blog posts. You've got to continue to put it out there. And that's been my biggest learning from this journey. I've been on the last five years that learning has even been, you know, pushing a hyperdrive with you being here the last year for us to be able to work on this and talk together. But we've tried to ingrain this idea of shaping the conversation into the name of the podcast. And what we want people to do is go out there and create the change and make things happen. And when you go to do that, even if you do spend nights and weekends building something, understand that if you do go to launch it, the world's not going to come to you. You've got to tell them about it. You've got to continue to find ways to get the word out there, and you're going to have to be creative about it. There's no blueprint. There's no way to do it. There's more noise than ever in this world. Um, So start building your audience and your voice today, even if you're at a job at a growing company that's moving fine and you're feeling good. That might not always be the case. You might want to start something on your own, and at that point, it'd be great to have these people that are are there to, to listen, at least in some way. That's what I wish I would have done. Absolutely. Yeah. Cultivate your network, regardless of it. You're a big corporation or you're just starting out. Absolutely. And I think that'll help. At least you'll have some small little corner of the world that that might come to you and, and help you out. You're still going to have to earn it. The first customer, no doubt, is going to be your hardest customer. The first whatever of anything you're working on is going to be the first one. But don't let that stop you. Don't get discouraged take pride in the fact you're doing something really, really hard. Getting people to change their ways and uh, adopt a new behavior is a really tough thing to do. And don't underestimate that if you're looking to get started. All right. So what do you think? Wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. Okay. Well, we're working on our outro still. We haven't dialed anything in. Nicole and I are, are continuing to spitball some things there. So until further... Uh, ideas come that might replace this one over and out from Shape HQ here in beautiful Bend, Oregon. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Check out the show notes for a way to get in touch. And uh, hey, tell a few friends out there because it's hard. Do it. All right. Talk to you next time.